Good morning, everyone. Uh, It is wonderful to see you all this morning. It's been said sometimes the best way to convince people that they're wrong is to let them have their own way. In the transition of power from the house of Saul to the house of David, God is doing just that. God is convincing men that they were wrong by allowing them to have their own way. And as these men got their own way, they would all come to learn eventually how wrong they were. God allowed Abner to instigate rebellion and war in the kingdom. He allowed Ishbosheth to accept the throne of Israel, although it wasn't God's will. He allowed Joab and Abishai to murder Abner in cold blood. In a word, the way of those men was unrighteous. One of the core traits of God is righteousness. It's one of the core traits. Everything that God wants us to know about him has been inspired and preserved for us in his word that we have this morning. And one of the things that God wants you to know about him, it is this. God wants you to know that he is righteous. Consider Psalm 11 and verse 7. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Jehovah God is righteous. That speaks to the essence of who he is and what he's about. It represents his character. He's righteous, and because he's righteous, he loves righteousness. Because it is consistent with who he is and what he is about. And because he loves righteousness, because he is righteous and he loves righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. That is, God looks upon the upright with pleasure. Why? Because they reflect who he is and what he is about. Righteousness pleases him. Listen, regardless of the situation, and we all as adults at this age and stage of life, we all find ourselves in situations where we are tempted with unrighteousness. And sometimes, if we're honest, we're in situations where we say to ourselves, Lord, I know what's right, but doing what's right, it just seems so inconvenient. It just seems so difficult. It seems like the the easiest and the best thing to do is actually what's not right. But what you and I have to understand when it comes to walking with God, we will always win and thrive with God when we do what is right, regardless of the situation, regardless of the scenario. God says, just do what is right. And here's what we need to understand about unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is always going to invite. It's always going to welcome a very bitter reaping. No matter how convenient it seems in the moment to cut a corner or to to do something that is unrighteousness, you got to understand there is a reaping that will surely follow that. Why? Because righteousness pleases God and unrighteousness grieves him and you and I can never win 
when we are grieving God. That's not a winning outcome. And as we turn the pages of 2 Samuel, there's something that is leaping off the page, right? What's leaping off the page? Unrighteousness. We're seeing it. It's leaping off the page. In a very straightforward approach, we need to soberly consider this morning just a sober, a summary, if you would, of unrighteousness. This will be very simple, be very straightforward, but I do believe there are some things that God wants us to see here, beginning in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 4. And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble, and all the Israelites were troubled. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands. The name of one was Baana, and the name of the other was Rechab. The sons of Remon, a Berethite, of the children of Benjamin, for Bereth also was reckoned to Benjamin. And the Berethites fled to Gidiam, and were sojourners there until this day. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, we're going to spend an entire chapter on Mephibosheth when we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Slow down on that one, right? But the day of reckoning for Ishbosheth has come. It is here. While Abner had made him king, Ishbosheth did not have to go along with that. He did not have to accept that. But in accepting it, it was unrighteous because it was contrary to God's will. And when he accepted it, this day was on the horizon. This is what I'm saying. Anytime we take the path, we take the way of unrighteousness, we sign up for this day of reckoning, this bitter reaping, if you would. So in this summary of unrighteousness, I want us to see this first. I want us to see first that it is influenced by our company. It is influenced by our company. Uh, Ishbosheth, in my opinion, was in the worst position that I believe anybody could be in. He had no personal relationship with God and he was in a very hard situation. That is, brothers and sisters, that is a dreadful situation. To find yourself in a very difficult place, to find yourself in a very hard situation, and you have no walk with God. That's awful. As adults, at this age and stage of life, all of us can get pretty good at trying to play God in our lives. So we do what we think is right, which often takes us outside of, takes us away from the will of God and wrecks our relationship with God. And inevitably, the bill for that comes due, doesn't it? It always does. That invoice shows up. And we find ourselves in the same position as Ishbosheth operating outside of the will of God. And now we find ourselves in a very difficult place. 
A place that neither Visa or MasterCard can fix. A place that the best of our ingenuity has no answer for. As Bosch's hands were feeble, the Bible says, which is to say, uh, he was completely weak. He was at a total loss of what to do. And so were the people. Abner, who was really the king, he's gone now. So I can't trust him. I can't turn to Abner. I can't, I can't run to Abner. A- Abner can't uh, solve or fix this. I plead with you to hear this this morning. I plead with myself to hear it. Listen, God will eventually remove whoever and whatever we are trusting in instead of him. Wherever or whoever you have put your faith in instead of God, that will be removed at some point. It's coming. Consider Jeremiah 2, beginning in verse 26. As the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets, saying to a stock, Thou art my father, and to a stone, Thou hast brought me forth. For they have turned their back unto me, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, Arise and save us. But where are they? But where are thy gods that thou hast made thee? Let them arise. If they can save thee in the time of thy trouble, for according to the number of thy cities are thy gods, O Judah. That day always comes. God, I've got a better way. It's a way that doesn't, I don't have to trust you, I don't have to wait for you. I can solve this. I can fix this. I've got the fix. I've got some financial avenue I can explore. I've got some person. I've got some mechanism I can work for myself. And God says, I will let you take it. But when you get to the end of that and you really need me, you turn to those that you've put your faith and trust in and see how they can handle that. Historically, That day of reckoning came for Judah when they fell to the Babylonians and it will come for the nation of Israel in the great tribulation for not receiving the Messiah. But this is where we are heading. This is where it's going. When we bypass God, is Bosch's lack of a personal walk with God influenced unrighteousness in his life and it also led to him keeping unrighteous company in his life. If we recall, Bereth joined with others in deceiving Joshua and making a covenant in Joshua chapter 9, verse 17. So you're getting an idea of this company. But it was reckoned or counted as part of the territory of Benjamin, the tribe that Saul was from, and two Berethite men were captains of bands or soldiers in Isbosh's army. They were not righteous men. Uh, this was not righteous company. The name Bayana means son of oppression or affliction. Rechab means a rider. In Revelation chapter 6, John sees someone sitting on a white horse who went forth conquering and to conquer. And that was, that rider was the Antichrist, will be the Antichrist. 
Rimon means God or exalted. Rimon was an idol worshipped by the Syrians. Well, this is great company, isn't it? <laughs> so these, are, these names picture uh, the unholy trinity that is, the devil, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. Listen, please, I, 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 I can't, as I get older, right, there, there are things that you just begin to reconcile uh, more and more and more. And being a father of two teenagers, I've come to understand that what I'm about to say to you is not just limited to them. We often think of this tone of speech as, well, yeah, that's what teenagers need to hear. And I would agree with you on that. But I, as I am learning, it is something that I need to hear. And I need to hear it as often as the Lord believes I need to hear it. And uh, today is another day for that. But would you hear this? Unrighteous living brings us into the company of dark people. It always does. Unrighteous living brings us into the company of dark people. Every single time. Ishbosheth followed Abner into absolute darkness. And listen, let me tell you, when he got the news that Abner was dead, I promise you, that would have been the darkest moment of his life. It was dark, pitch black. And two of his leaders were about to put an end and an exclamation point on the house of Saul and on the end of his life. He's in trouble. We ended 2022 in this room with me challenging you to embrace an iron-sharpening friend. Obviously, I'm not omniscient, but history tells me that for some, that went in this ear and out the other. But this is why I challenged you with that. I, I, I can't say it strong enough. I can't implore you enough to be a Proverbs 13:20 believer. Walk with wise men and you will be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. All of us right now, whoever we are and wherever we are, we are whoever we are and we are wherever we are because of the company that we keep. And so as adults, as we get older, especially in this country, we find ourselves bowing at the altar of comfort and convenience. So that tends to drive all of our decisions. So guess what? I want comfortable relationships in my life. I don't want relationships that challenge how I think. I don't want relationships that challenge my speech. I don't want relationships that challenge how I walk. I want relationships that are going to make space for my carnality. I'm stuck and I want to stay here. And I don't want anybody trying to shake that up. I don't need that. I'm fine just where I am. Can I tell you, I love our pastor. I love Sam. I love him. I always say, 
there were four men that I deal with, and they're all named Sam. There's Sam, my pastor. There's Sam, my boss. There's Sam, my big brother. And there's Sam, my very dear friend. And I'm, and I'm proud to say all that. But can I tell you, walking with Sam Miles is not always comfortable. <laughs> Sam, uh, when Sam hears from the Lord and uh, there's a hill that we got to take, it's on. <laughs> it's going down. But you know what? Over the years, my goodness, God has used Sam in my life to foster and to facilitate and to provoke growth. Those situations where I'm sitting down and Sam says, hey, I'm sending you to go do this. And I'm like, Christmas. <laughs> this would be great for Chris. <laughs> right? I need that. And so do you. But that's why I challenge you. Because your relationships, listen, your relationships are either leading you and me into a place of greater light or deeper darkness. Those relationships are only doing one of those. Okay, verse 5. So we continue. And the sons of Ramon, the Berethite, Rechab, and Baana went and came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. And they came thither into the midst of the house as though uh, they would have fetched wheat. And they smote him under the fifth rib, and Rechab and Baana, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber, and they smote him and slew him and beheaded him and took his head and got them away through the plain all night. So siestas is uh, the afternoon or midday rest. Those are still practiced in many parts of the world, especially countries that are close to the equator. So Isbasheth was taking his siesta. And in a ruse, Rechab and Baana enter the house and they murder him. Now let me just say, uh, <laughs> listen, if there was ever a time for Isbasheth to uh, be a man of prayer and fasting, it was here. Uh, he could have he could have bypassed the siesta today. <laughs> I mean, he's in a hard, hard place. If there is ever a time for him to turn to the Lord and say, "Please be merciful unto me, a sinner," it was today. Uh, he didn't need to be napping. He needed to be uh, trusting God with everything in him. But here's the second thing I want you to see about unrighteousness, and that is, it involves blatant corruption. It involves blatant corruption. These were corrupt men. They were very corrupt. This was the company that Ishbosheth welcomed into his life. And this is what I'm saying. It's always going to get you and me eventually when we welcome this. And the darkness of their character was identical to that of men in the days of Noah. I consider Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Rechab and Baana were filled with violence, were they not? To go in and murder someone and behead them, you are a violent man. See, what should determine who you walk with 
is what they are filled with. That's what determines who you walk with. So you observe, you pay attention, you study. Are they filled with the Spirit? Or are they filled with carnality? That determines who you walk with. That determines the company that you keep. What are they filled with? These men were filled with violence. Now, you might have to work with people like this. You may have to live next door to them. And as I have learned, just maybe, you have to sit next to them in church. Just because someone attends church doesn't mean they're filled with the Spirit. There are people who sit in church and sit and hear message after message and go to conference after conference, and they are immensely carnal. They are. Right? I I teach foundations two and three every year. I'm honored to do that, and I find myself saying this like, you know, when we get to that part in terms of how to disciple, and, you know, when you're discipling someone, uh, you tend to pay very close attention to their company, don't you? You do. Who's in their ear? <laughs> Is that okay? It's very parental, right? Because you understand that just because people are in church doesn't mean that they're okay, right? This is our third encounter in 2 Samuel with the phrase fifth rib. We're going to see it again. And each time you see it, it's associated with death, is it not? The number five often represents a number of death in Scripture. The first mention of someone having died is found in Genesis chapter 5. Guess where? Verse 5. Joshua executed five Amorite kings in Joshua 10. Uh, Where is it recorded that Ananias dies in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 5, verse 5. There are five letters in the word flesh. There are five letters in the word death. Five is going to often represent death in Scripture. If we get nothing else out of the message today, would you please get this? If we do not love righteousness, we will practice blatant corruption. I'm not talking about having respect for righteousness or acknowledging it or having an intellectual understanding of it. God is righteous, and because he is righteous, he loves righteousness, which means righteousness is not something that I can, again, just recognize or acknowledge. I must love it. I must love it. I must love doing what is right because that's godly and that is pleasing to him. But if we don't love righteousness, blatant corruption will surface in our lives. This is tax season, right? People will cut corners there. There are people who will sit in church and they will cheat on their taxes. That's corrupt. And we can go on and on and on. You've got to love righteousness, and here's how you're going to love righteousness. You're going to love righteousness if you love God. You're going to love righteousness if you love God's Word. 
But if you don't have a love for God, if you don't love God's word, then yeah, for sure, it'll be subtle, but it's going to surface. Okay, down the stretch, verse 9. And David answered Rechab and Baana, his brother, the sons of Remon, the Berethite, and as the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity. When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good things, good tidings, sorry, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. How much more? When wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew him, and cut off their hands and their feet, and hanged them up over the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulcher of Abner in Hebron. Unrighteous men are always given to unrighteous motives. This is the truth. With Abner gone and Ishbosheth being a weakling at best, these wicked and unrighteous men saw an opportunity, at least in their mind, to gain favor with the impending new king of Israel. This is where they were thinking. And as is often the case with unrighteous people, they are very poor students of history. They are. Enough time would have passed by now for these men to have known how David dealt with the Amalekite stranger in 2 Samuel chapter 1, who had the same motive as they had, who was also unrighteous, who was also trying to gain the king's favor. They should have known that. I don't know how they wouldn't have known that. But yet, somehow, they're going to be the exception. Amazing. The statement made in verse 8 got them off to a very bad start. Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy. Here's reality Saul made David his enemy. David never made Saul his enemy. That was Saul's doing. Nor did David ever seek the head of Saul. The head of Abner, the head of Ishbosheth, he he wasn't seeking that. He didn't order that. And like the Amalekite stranger in chapter 1, these two men came to realize that they had made a grave miscalculation. We're in trouble. Unlike Saul, Abner, and Ishbosheth, David was a righteous man. And like Christ at his first coming, he was not trying to take the throne by force. He wasn't. Here's the third and final observation this morning about unrighteousness. Inevitably, it brings on condemnation. Inevitably. This was the judicial act of declaring them guilty and implementing their punishment. And David did just that. He had them kill have their hands and feet cut off and have them hung up over the pool in Hebron. And in doing that publicly, what he did, it expressed his absolute disdain for what had happened. 
to let everybody know this was not my doing. (laughs) This was not my heart. This is not what I ordered. It's not what I wanted. I am not that kind of king. Hear this, though. Unrighteousness places the welcome mat out to the chastisement of God. It does. It puts the welcome mat out. Says, God, bring it on. And I'm here to tell you, he will. He will. Absent repentance, God will accept your offer. God says, if you have it no other way, then yes, I will chastise you because you're my child and I love you. And I want to see this corrected in your life. But the civil war that started at the pool of Gibeon earlier in 2 Samuel ends here now at the pool of Hebron. And this was a proper reaping for what Rechab and Baana had sown. However... Again, as you're turning the pages and you, we, we get a little further in 2 Samuel and we get to chapter 11 and where the wills come off and, and that's really um, kind of the beginning, if you would, of because uh, David's really going to take it next level in terms of inviting the chastisement of God. But as you're on your way, again, you're just noticing just those blemishes those compromises, which, again, we're all tempted to make space for in our lives. This little thing over here, again, it's not as egregious as this over here, but you know what? It's still not righteous. So I'm going to make space for that. Consider Proverbs 17, 15. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. The way that David dealt with the Amalekite stranger, okay, uh, the way that he dealt with, with Rechab and Bayana was right. It was right. He did what was right. He did not justify their wickedness. But essentially, he justified the wickedness of Joab and Abishai in their murder of Abner. You see that? Compromise. The Amalekite stranger put to death. These two wicked, unrighteous men here in chapter 4 put to death. But not Joab and Abishai. So you see what I'm saying? Righteousness, there are times where it's like, okay, God, I know what's right. But that is so hard that it seems wrong. (laughs) It seems wrong to actually do what's right. I've seen this movie in leadership too many times. Men can lead churches and address hard things. In dealing with hard people in church, I've seen this movie a lot. Or they can lead in the workplace and actually sit down and terminate someone for insubordination. 
You are fired. I've seen men do that. But when it comes to dealing with rebellion in their home, they come up woefully short. So I'm going to terminate this individual. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to exercise church discipline on this person because of, of how they're living. But I've made space in my home for rebellion from my children. That is going to come back to do more than bite you. Brothers and sisters, as it pertains to righteousness, none of us can afford to be selective. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We do pray that we would hide in our hearts what we've heard from you. Lord, may we all walk away from this. if, if nothing else, begging you, imploring you to provoke in us a love for righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.